What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Here we are in mid-October, and we still face many unknowns. How long will the pandemic go on? How will the economy be impacted? When will Americans return to work, if they do? Another unknown? What's going on with women and jobs? Have women left the workforce in part because no one has their back in corporate culture? Is this a kind of disillusionment? How can women navigate a career that is more like tripping through a minefield? Here to talk about it is the author of Involuntary Exit, A Woman's Guide to Thriving After Being Fired, Robin Merrill. Thank you. And Robin, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Diane. I'm thrilled to be here. It's exciting to speak with you, and I can't wait to hear your um, take on things. You have such a grounded, common sense uh, bedrock in the book, uh, Involuntary Exit. And I'd like to just dive in right away with the premise that we're over-invested in our jobs. And so when an employer decides it's time to go, for us to go, not that we decided it, it's the equivalent of a trauma, much less an identity crisis. I wonder if you could just speak to us and lay the groundwork for how invested we are with our identities and our jobs. You know, Diane, thank you for starting there because that really is the crux of what you call the trauma of sudden job loss. So in Involuntary Exit, I interviewed uh, many, many women across industries across this country uh, who had risen in their company or their firm or their nonprofit to higher levels of responsibility. And one of the common factors of the involuntary exit was that they didn't see it coming. It was sudden. And one of the reasons Mm -hmm. that they didn't see it coming is that they were all what I call type A loyalists. We all work very hard. We're very dedicated to our companies. We're dedicated to the mission. We set the goals. We go after what we need to do. We drive our teams to be as excited as we are. And uh, what happens in that process is that we intertwine our identity with our job role and our title. And so when suddenly that is all taken away, there we are lost because suddenly we feel we have no value, we have no purpose, and we're facing an ocean of uncertainty that we've never faced Mm -hmm. before. And this loss of identity, which leads to what is my purpose, what am I doing, uh, was very common during the pandemic. So I, I wrote the book, prior to the pandemic, but I spoke to a clinical social worker who said that people were just reeling from job loss because they were really starting to think about, what am I doing? What, what do I want to do in life? And the silver lining, which was the, uh, true for the women in this book, was they had the time to step back, to reflect, and really reinvent themselves and how they wanted to be spending their time. It's very cool. I think, um, you know, you really talk about it in the book about, you know, what we truly long for might be an expanded sense of self that's more suited to who we've Mm -hmm. become and that the workplace, you know, hadn't really reflected our values uh, and the changing world around us. I thought this was really, I mean, fascinating in terms of a macro view. Um, And another implication uh, that I think... Uh, was shattered, um, I think quite artfully in the book, is the idealization of corporate management that somehow 
it's mm-hmm. over-romanticized. So this investment that you're speaking to of ourselves with our jobs, it's not reciprocated necessarily by our employers. Mm. So the corporate management as, you know, being somehow always right, knowing what's best, uh, when in fact you kind of blow the lid off that and, you know, talk about how, um, you know, this surprising dismissal in involuntary exit Management is benignly negligent at best, knowing, uh, knowing that, you know, they're knowingly not appraising people that their services no longer will be necessary. And yet we blame ourselves. Mm-hmm. So is that mm-hmm. yet another aspect of this overinvestment? Uh, yeah, and I'm glad that you picked up on that. One of my favorite pieces of research was from a woman who... Um, cited a study about people who uh, their mental health and their mental wellness and comparing those who worked very hard, those who really didn't work, and those who were indifferent. And uh, the what she came out with was indifference may be underrated in terms of making mm-hmm. sure that your own mental health is intact and that you understand how to value yourself separate from the workplace. I think that uh, we don't realize, uh, because we do invest so much of, of ourselves, some of the um, priorities and pressures of management. And I do go into all the different levels of what I call dark leadership, where there is a leader who... And I think we've all experienced different kinds of leaders that have a, uh, some of this in them where, you know, their, their most important um, part is really making sure that they themselves feel safe, that they're still in command, that they are, uh, can continue to keep their position of leadership. And unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't sit well with those that are trying to uh, do their jobs beneath that leader. And while that leader may come out with um, a lot of, oh, I guess the window dressing of team building and um, employee morale and so forth, when there is an, an issue which requires some sort of reorganization or, or management structure, unfortunately, uh, that it's not always handled in the best way. And one mm-hmm. starts to question, gee, what was all that team building about? I thought I was a member of the family. I thought all of these were my work friends. And then yet the next day, you're no longer part of the family and you don't hear from your so-called work friends. And it goes back to that concept that, about being indifferent because there's no way that any worker today should stake their own value on uh, what the corporation or the leadership says about them. We really have to, to be very strong in terms of looking inside ourselves, understanding our strengths, um, doing, if you will, our own version of a Myers-Briggs on ourselves. We take lots of those kinds mm-hmm. of, uh, many of us have lots of those kinds of personality tests, but you know, before anybody taught us how to think, what did we really think about ourselves and our strengths? You know, it's, it's, um, it's really worth it doing that self-inventory. And I, I have this um, phrase that I call attitude power. So if you're uh-huh. able to change your mindset to really reflect the positivity that we all have inside of ourselves, your attitude affects others' attitudes about you. And, um, and it will, when you're happy, other people around you will hopefully uh, pick up on that and see the valuable person and the, um, uh, that you are rather than a reflection of the corporate um, organization. Well, you know, I think what you're saying is vitally important because there's a lot of second-guessing that goes on even when we hear a story from a friend who got fired. You know, it's always somehow, you know, undermining when we say, okay, well, you know, didn't you see it coming? You know, it's kind of Mm victim-blaming. And the other part of it Mm -hmm. is, you know, 
well, somehow subconsciously we're thinking, well, her performance must not have been very good. That is absolutely not the case. Um, and that was the another Correct. alarming part about the accounts that you wrote about is, wow, they had the numbers. They had the performance reviews mm-hmm. in their file. Um, they had, mm-hmm. you know, these women were um, outperforming their peers. Um, but there were issues. And, you know, when you talk about dark management, I just, you know, I loved this concept. I'm thinking to myself, well, do we need infrared goggles to detect dark <laughs> management in our midst? But, you know, one of the things that you, you brought out is, is, too, is like, you know, it's just business. That's the thing. Business, by virtue of its kind of succinct practicality, is dark management. It's not going to be the euphemism of human resources that is also euphemistic, mm-hmm. right? Because you, mm-hmm. you also That's point right. out, look, the human, the human resources office is reporting to management. They're not reporting to you. And if you start to feel that you have an advocate at human resources, you're already going down the wrong lane. Um, and I think that, you know, when you talk about this <laughs> right. indifference and the beauty of this indifference, it ties in so much with establishing boundaries, right? I mean, boundaries around yes. your identity and, and, and also, you know, boundaries around how much you're willing, willing to invest. I loved that you talked about a self-inventory. I think what I'm going to do for our listeners is to give um, a bit of uh, information about you because your your biography mm-hmm. is is also incredibly impressive. You've been a senior executive for billion dollar organizations. You're the veteran of the power, value, and identity wars at the top ranks because you've raised more than a half a billion dollars in philanthropy during the decades working with nonprofit organizations. You've served as a board member for three nonprofits in New York City, no easy feat, and you've been the vice chair of National mm-hmm. Philanthropy Day in New York for three consecutive years. You've been named the Woman of Achievement by Women in Development for your leadership, fundraising, and commitment to women in the field. I mean, you are, um, you are this overachiever, and yet you experience... Mm-hmm this sudden severance, um, and it's what was the catalyst for, for writing this book. Mm-hmm. How has the catalyst um, turned into a resilience that, you know, you, you've documented in yourself, but how much of that really mm-hmm. does have to do with the self-inventory that you just touched on? Well, I think... I think, uh, and and thank you for uh, giving that summary, but I I think that resilience is something that we learn and something we can be taught at any time. I I love to tell uh, this story that uh, because somebody asked me, were you resilient? you know, uh, before you were in the various roles that you were in. And I thought about it, and I, and I thought, yeah, I was. But somebody showed me what to do, and that somebody uh, was actually my mother. And I mm-hmm. grew up in a tough neighborhood in Philly and Philadelphia, and um, there was a neighborhood boy, and I was about to go to school for the first time, and he just bullied me. And he was terrible, and he called me names, and he, he, you know, he was just a bully. And my mother said to me, the next time he does that, you kick him in the shins and run like hell. (laughs) So, (laughs) sure enough, on schedule, he started to do that, and both my mother and his mother were watching, and I could almost hear her cheering under her breath, do it, do it, do it. And I did, and he collapsed in tears. And I ran like hell, and I tell you, Diane, I have never looked back, because once you do something, you say, you know, I have the power to really change this dynamic, and I'm not going to forget that. And that's really important. And as I went through various roles, 
I watched carefully and I watched men and women and I watched how they succeeded. I watched how they pushed back and everything helped me gain resilience. And when there was this sudden parting that I didn't see coming in my own experience and I immediately started to reach out and talk to other women and that community gave me and them greater resilience and greater strength because I started to hear these stories and then I would see how they had come back from it. And once you have that inspiration, it is really like gold. So I would be talking to women and they'd say, you know, I came home, I sat in my kitchen for eight hours after I heard this news. I didn't change my clothes. I sat there for eight hours without moving until my partner came Mm -hmm. home. I was completely devastated. That same woman is the CEO of her own company today and has been on global media. But you Mm -hmm. you hear what they said, and they, they talk about vulnerability. And I know Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability in her book. And I just think it's organic to be vulnerable, to listen to others that they were that way, and then to see how they are now. Um, we can't do better than talking to each other and building that community of strength. And then I want to, you know, enter the not comfortable subject of shame and how that makes mm. it almost, you, you reach an impasse. You're, you're ashamed, you feel guilty, you, you know, you haven't, you can't contact your self-inventory. You can't even remember yourself mm-hmm. because you've just been fired. Um, and so it completely counteracts exactly what you're talking about, the greatest necessity mm-hmm. being, which is reaching out <clears throat> and allowing others to, and being vulnerable to others and allowing others to help us, that there is, uh, an invisible force, an invisible network of people who would help if only they knew. It's just that it's so difficult yeah. to form the, form the words, form any kind of thought um, at that at that moment. Um, we're going to need to pause for a commercial break, but I can I can tell that it is just such an interesting conversation to have um, that. This idea of of looking to others, it so contradicts what a woman on the rise in corporate America would think of herself. I have to be strong as an individual. You know, you build all these defenses and walls around you, and then you've got all this perseverance that allows you to put up with situations that, you know, are already ringing untrue. Most of the women in the the (laughs) book, Involuntary Exit, you know, Sensed a sense of dissonance, a dissonance with their employer, um, you know, truth be told, just that it's hard to access that truth. But we won't have a problem because we're going to come back in a minute with Robin Merrill, <laughs> author of Involuntary Exit, uh, A Woman's Guide to Thriving After Being Fired. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. 
That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're, we're here with Robin Merrill, author of Involuntary Exit. And even if you haven't been fired or been fired recently, pick up the book uh, when it comes out next week on October 19th from She Writes Press. It's a way to come back to yourself, whether you're male or female, to be honest, but there's a lot of good um, information pertaining to females in the workplace. I wondered, Robin, if you'd even um, talk with us about my thought, um, whether this is true. It's a book whose idea, uh, it's a, an idea whose time has come. Um, not just your pub date October 19th, that's coming too, but, and there'll be a virtual <laughs> book launch, which will be super interesting. But I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. We're certainly going to touch on that broader yeah. scope. But what about the idea that even these notions of women over identifying with their positions, um, not seeing it coming because of being loyalists, as you say, which in mm-hmm. some case means being a fabulist because the company is not got our backs, and that's a heavy, that's a heavy mm-hmm. disillusionment. Um, but also women were characteristically or historically the second income in the family. Um, it was the, you know, it was not necessarily the breadwinner um, role, and that dynamic has changed. So is this conversation mm. around women and identity with careers is it coming more to the fore because of that seismic shift societally that, you know, careers are now, you know, we're at that same point where, you know, we always talked about it with men. Who am I after retirement? Mm-hmm. Well, who is a woman? Mm-hmm. Now it becomes an important conversation. Mm. I think that's a really intriguing question. And I will tell you that um, almost I'd say every woman that I spoke with, whether they were labeled primary breadwinner or not, uh, they felt that they were responsible for the financial stability of themselves and their families. And one of the women who she she's actually going to be on my uh, book launch um, October 19th, she stayed in a job too long. She knew she had outgrown it. Um, she was what I call faux-fired, which is when mm-hmm. you, you stay in untenable circumstances um, that you can't take any longer and the, the company doesn't really do anything about it or they start you know, marginalizing you in the work and so you eventually quit. Um, you essentially fire yourself because it's, it's not a good role and you, you save them the trouble. Uh, in Maria's case, the reason that she didn't move forward was because uh, the first time she lost her job, as she said, she had $40 in her wallet, and it just scared her, the financial insecurity of going further. But it also made her determined to put together a financial uh, nest egg, a program to be strategic in planning for her financial future. And she's now part of an organization that helps women plan for their financial future because it's very important mm-hmm. that you have that sense of security, whether you're the breadwinner or not. And in today's world, it typically takes two, two salaries uh, uh, to really you know, support a family at a certain level. Um, so I do think that the changing aspect of women in the workplace is really um, has made this a more important topic. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, you raise a, a, another, you know, another point, which is that it really doesn't matter what the job is, what the percentage role is, in the family income, a woman is, you know, mm-hmm. we're geared to, we're geared to perform. We're geared to do our best. Um, sometimes that hanging tough is outlived its usefulness. As you say, you know, Maria, she, she's, she's in a position where she knows she's outgrown it. 
Um, there was just this mm-hmm. wonderful quote in the book um, where Mark Nepo asks, in, which, in what ways do we shrink our world so as to not feel the press of our own self-imposed captivity? I went like right. out. Right. <laughs> that hurts right. to realize that right. we imp- yeah. we we do this to ourselves. We accommodate, we are now adjusting ourselves to the reality that we're in and we feel that somehow that's a survival tactic when in fact it might be uh totally destructive. But we're not supposed to fail. No matter what, you know, right. no matter that's how right. badly this yeah, we're not supposed to fail no matter how badly this doesn't fit. Um, and I wondered about this exploration because you brought it up about the pandemic, how it's given a pause uh-huh. for people to go back into themselves and access, what do I truly want to do? You talk about something called the portfolio of passions. I wonder if you'd talk about uh-huh. that with our listeners. Sure. Um, I, I think the first thing I want to say is this is not easy. And like any loss, you don't recover overnight. It really is a grieving process. And coming out of that, uh, that small circle that Mark Nepo disguise, uh, describes, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it, is, it, it takes a lot of work. And I want to first go over the four stages of that grieving process so people understand um, what, uh, what they're looking at when they do have a sudden job loss and they're just facing a, a wide um, open frontier. And what I chose to do, I know that we're all familiar with Kubler-Ross's stages of grieving, uh, and there's six of them, but I mm-hmm. chose the stages of grieving from Bowles and Bowlby and Parks that's more that um, they talk about children going through because it seemed more relevant to the bullying that goes on in firing. And so those four stages are shock and numbness when we first hear the news, the yearning and searching when, and by that I mean we yearn to get back to our comfort zone out of where we are now, which is really the grieving zone, and we yearn for news of our past life and the shared history that we feel has suddenly been lost. Um, the disorientation and disorganization, and that's when you're really starting to feel as if I, there's a dissonance. I don't know how to orient myself because my day-to-day uh, routine is gone. Um, I can picture all the people I used to be with sitting in the office, you know, doing their work, and what am I mm-hmm. doing? And then the, the reorganization and resolution where, where you actually, in a sense, your psyche calms down. You realize that you have an opportunity, a possibility to do, to do something uh, new, and that the way that you're going to value this is going to be very different from the ways that you value your previous activities. As you said, Diane, did you succeed? Did you fail? Did you exceed your goals? Did you not meet your goals? And the women in the book who did find a new way to embrace uncertainty, and I'll tell you, some of them, right after they lost their job, they didn't just jump into um, into recovery. They slept. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they didn't clean up their homes. They, they let it be. And, and they all use different, different methods. Some of them went away. They changed their environment so they could think quietly. Some of them used vision boards. Some of them did journaling. Some collected uh, material that they found inspiring. And some of the younger ones, and I love this, you know, they made a you video so that they would just say something to themselves, record it on their phones, and play it back whenever they felt, whenever they felt down. Um, the other thing this mm-hmm. touches on, and you brought up Mark Nepo, is the spiritual side of this. Mm-hmm. And this is something that those of us that are loyalists and 110% are working in tangible reality to get results, this can feel very foreign and strange. But there is a a spiritual side, and I promise not to get too out there, where you just have to let people into your life and you have to be open to new opportunities. And I will tell you 100% it happens that the right people 
come into your life at the right time. And you will be surprised at the number of people that you didn't even know valued you that send you cards and letters and tell you how much you meant to them as a person. And all of that mm-hmm. helps, um, helps boost you and lift you up into an area where then you can then not be afraid because fear is the big, big um, stoppage that people have from going forward and, and open yourself up to see, okay, this is a possibility. This is a passion that I have loved pursuing. I've always been concerned, let's say, with helping, um, helping climate change. I've always been concerned about finding a new way that we can do X, Y, or Z. And then you start to explore. And with our digital economy now, it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to explore than it was years and years ago. And here's the secret. It only takes one lead, one connection to start you down a cascade of new people, new connections, and a new path. Right. And you also, I mean, I think you really are, in addition to being a shin kicker, you are also a myth buster. Mm -hmm. And you busted that myth Mm -hmm. wide open about um, networking, that vastness of of that word. How you have to go, you know, it's so intimidating when, particularly when you're in this mindset. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you, uh, as you mentioned in the book, you're, you know, the apprehension about the anxiety about the unknown and what's ahead of us is so much worse than actually taking on the unknown. There are ways mm-hmm. where, yes, you will attract or, you know, you will hear, um, from people who who want to you know help you, um, and it, it is amazing. Um, I think there is just a web of support that we don't really give a lot of credit to because let's face it, mm. the bullies have the microphone a lot of the time. And I'll just be political here for a moment. Our former bullier in chief was the fire in chief, <laughs> um, you know, yes. uh, in our country. So you know. For, for him to say, you're fired, was, you know, the epitome of his day. Um, so to kind of, you know, equate that with, you know, our sense of self, um, when you realize that what's at work here is, you know, a, an ego, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, it isn't, it isn't deserving of our investment. Um, it isn't right. something that we should take into ourselves the way that we usually do. Um, and so I, I think now I, I, I'm just going to be very personal and say that, you know, there were two huge mm-hmm. takeaways for me in the book. Um, mm. and, and it concerns tormentors, um, the, the tormentor in ourselves, you know, who's reviewing this, you know, so-called failure or, you know, this so-called, um, you know, loss of self. The passing judgment on our choices, of course, the minute something like that happens, the end of a job, tenure, we look back and say, what could I have done differently? What did I do wrong? You know, not assessing mm-hmm. our strengths and what we did right, you know, how it was successful for 15 years or whatever. But the tormentor is this um, person that actually is, in, in as you've pointed out, you, you, I'm glad you brought out the spiritual aspect because you also have um, wonderful quotes. Deepak Chopra is there saying, your tormentor mm-hmm. today is yourself left over from yesterday. Um, and mm-hmm. this tormentor, okay, can be very persistent. Um, and there's another one that I think is a tormentor, and that is idealism, the way we think things ought mm. to be. Um, you know, if there, you, you know, to adjust to your new reality is very much difficult, that much more difficult because of that. But I wonder if you'd, you'd talk about this, this tormentor being the, the, our leftover self. Um, you know, if mm. we actually move into the present, we don't really feel that tormentor, right? We deprive that tormentor of their power. Um, what kind of a process was that for you? And, you know, I love that you can speak to this process now um, for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, it, 
that process for me was very long, took a lot of discipline and a lot of practice. I, I won't lie. And that's why I say in that quote that you pulled out, if you're somebody like I am who writes down quotes like that and, you know, and you need to revisit it every so often, revisit it. I, I definitely carry around with me a list of sayings, put the, you know, that really I turn to when I feel myself slipping back into what I call the old way of thinking. Another thing um, that I did and that I recommend uh, is having people that you can speak with about different things who will also recognize when you're slipping backward into that tormented frame of mind. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned before how powerful women feel like they have to do everything by themselves and, you know, it's lonely at the top and all that um, mythology. But the fact is the most important thing you can do when you are in power or you have responsibility is have allies. Have allies. Mm -hmm. And they can be from years ago. They can be current allies, but they're people that you connect with who understand you. And I'm fortunate. I've always built allies as soon as I went to a company. I would be the one saying, oh, let's go out to lunch. Now, were the allies always the original folks that I grouped up with? Not necessarily, but I always knew that I needed people uh, who could help me at various levels. Help is not a terrible thing to ask for at any stage. Um, and then I could help them back. And so uh, my allies, when they hear me say things, you know, I get a snarky response back. Like, are you serious? You haven't gotten over mm-hmm. that yet? Really? You're still going through that? Or somebody that will say, you notice I didn't respond to you because we've been through that and I'm not, I'm not even going to give it the power to be part of the conversation anymore. Because what happens yeah. um, with that tormentor is that's a script in your head that keeps going and going and going, usually at night. Um, with mm-hmm. uh, and with loyalists and type A's, it's in between all the emails you're writing in your dreams that you have to spend the next morning. I've talked to women that have emails that they dream about, uh, but you can imagine, you know, if your mind is going in the direction and it usually does, of what did I do, do wrong? What happened here? What could I have done better? You really have to work at changing that narrative and changing that, that mindset. And, um, to, to quote Deepak Chopra again, who I think is wonderful from the seven spiritual laws of success, he says, in the wisdom of uncertainty lies the freedom from our past, which is right. the prison of past conditioning. And we really have to get beyond the conditioning. And one of the techniques that I mentioned that sounds kind of cheesy is the technique of affirming yourself. And when you're, if you're Mm -hmm. feeling ashamed and you're feeling down and you haven't been able to reach out to someone, you may not think you have an affirmation, um, that you can, that you can say. But I say, just start out with something really simple for yourself, such as, I have many years of experience. You can't debate that. You do. (laughs) So you start there and you move on to, I'm great at what I do. I'm valuable, and anything else that you want to say to stop that other voice from, uh, from we'll use the term, from bullying you and shouting yeah. over uh, the new voice. It's, it's extraordinarily and deceptively simple and hard to do, but Robin mm-hmm. Merrill, you have really, you've really shown a light on this uh, in uh, Involuntary Exit, A Woman's Guide to Thriving After Being Fired, We'll be right back after a short break with Robin Merrill, and we'll talk about something growth, opportunity, and hope. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, 
and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Robin Merrill, whose website is professionalguide.com. And Robin, you have taken us through a process now where we're, um, we're being sapped, you know, the shoulda, woulda, coulda about, you know, a termination <laughs> that comes out of the blue. Um, and you say this in the book, you can't see what's in front of you with a swarm of predators circling your heart and soul. Um, you've just talked to us about linking with others who kind of call you on that mm-hmm. when they see you. Uh, descending back into predator land, um, and it happens to all of us. But getting to that, mm-hmm. getting to that point of of growth, opportunity, and hope, which is your motto that you live by and hold on to, you do have to defeat something uh, which is called defeatist narcissism. Um, mm-hmm. Could you just explain that um, for us and what it has to do with self recrimination? Sure. So that's my term for uh, behavior that I saw exhibited by a lot of of women, um, primarily women of a certain generation, and I'll have to say that, you know, in their 50s and 60s, who had really accomplished a lot, and they felt that all of their accomplishments stemmed completely from them. Uh, They were responsible for both the accomplishments and the failures. And so when their career went awry, they they thought it was definitely something that they could have controlled better. It has to do with a, a level of feeling that you have control over so many things. And they spent hours trying to go backwards and finding the clues of what happened. Why did they do this? Um, I helped them mm-hmm. so much. They, you know, I was so much more competent. And, you know, in some cases it started to affect not just their uh, emotional and mental health, but their physical health because they were constantly striving um, uh, to find out. And it was all being referenced back to them, to themselves as the, the uh, controller in chief. And the fact is that it is hard. It is hard to acknowledge that there Mm -hmm. are things that are just beyond our control and it has nothing to do with us. It has to, it might have to do with the narcissism of the leader in chief. It might have to do with a million other, a million other things. But once, you know, you get into that frame of mind, you sort of feel great because you think it has, you're in control and then you feel terrible because you're in control. Mm-hmm. So it's a frame of mind that I think is not very, uh, is very healthy, though we, um, unfortunately, too many people experience it. Yep. And a certain degree of detachment, um, I think this is, is something mm-hmm. you've really, it's thematic in the book, is trying to create a little bit of distance between yourself and your urgent sense of control. Um, and that's not to say that getting fired isn't, personal because there is a way in Mm -hmm. which you kind of have to take it personally when people around you have betrayed you, they've betrayed your trust. In some instances, your colleagues have known that you were going to be terminated. I mean, that's a lot to take in. And, you know, there are certain people Mm -hmm. that you really just should cut out of your life as a result of that. Um, So there's another kind of boundary, boundary writing um, just there. But I mean, you, you say that, um, you know, you know, what you're saying, 
people have their self-interest at heart. They're trying to survive as mm-hmm. well. So when you contextualize it, your colleagues are still, they are trying to win the approval of the management just as you were before when we're all on the same, you know, hamster, hamster wheel. Um, and this is, this is a trauma, you know, betrayal of trust, mm-hmm. um, you know, losing face, um, all of this, it is, it is a kind of a trauma and it's very hard to process. Um, but I love the fact that you gave us some stories of other women who mm-hmm. have experienced it, not um, in the sense of like, wow, they bounced back in an in instant. In fact, you're a great advocate for taking a lot of time, for slowing yeah. down the expectation that you're going to, quote, bounce back. I wonder if you mm-hmm. can comment on how that's actually radical self-care right there. Mm. Yeah, one of one of my uh, pieces of best advice in the book, and I have the the book is is sort of divided into five chapters, and in each chapter there's a pullout that is called best advice, so people can just flip through it and, and find that advice at any point. And uh, this piece is don't confuse moving quickly with moving forward, and that's mm-hmm. very hard for type for type A people to realize. Um, what we can, you know, what we might start to do is fill our days with um, work on boards, volunteer work, so that our calendar resembles the comfort food of our calendar when we were with the when, when we were with the company, and and suddenly you find yourself, oh, this, um, you know, it, this feels the same, it sounds the same, but it's really not the same. So in some sense, it gives you a sense to look at your activity with a new perspective. Um, and really, uh, really value it in, in a new way. And I think that the day-to-day activity and choices that you make should mm-hmm. always, if, if you can, be thinking about your choices, be thinking about the people you're with. And what I say is suddenly you'll start to see things through a new lens. It won't happen at once, but, for example... Um, there was uh, one woman who, when she was very powerful and people were always trying to sell her business, the consultants were trying to sell, upsell her all the time, and she realized when she started talking to them not as through the lens of her business but through a humanistic lens that they weren't just consultants trying to upsell her. They were entrepreneurs, and they really... Mm-hmm were the ones who had the great lives. They had absolutely shaped their lives and their careers with, uh, in the way that they wanted to live them and have them. And so this particular person went on to speak to them and to, to ask them questions. Well, how did you do this? You know, how did you build your business? How did you get to this point? And what I say is that when you're suddenly... Um, thrust out of your routine and time is, you know, is something that you worry about, oh, what am I going to do and how am I going to make as if I'm busy and so on, you know, reach out, again, it's the same message, reach out to other people, not necessarily because they can help you get a job, but because they have lives or paths or passions that they have followed and you want to find out how they did it. What choices did they make? You know, I always said mm-hmm. if I came away with just one new idea from a meeting with somebody, and I would go into meetings um, without a planned agenda necessarily, it was a great meeting. Now, you know, as a, as a fundraiser and a rainmaker, I'm pretty used to going into meetings um, with a goal, but the best meetings that had results were ones where everyone started talking about themselves and what was really important to them. And then when you come away with that, you come away with a little bit more strength about yourself. And if they did it, you know, I could do it. Um, one of the women in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. And you had, you had mentioned this, you know, that, that anticipating leaving was much worse than leaving. She um, had a group of friends, and they agreed to put the date that she was going to leave uh, on the calendar yeah, together, that. so that she couldn't she couldn't back out. 
And she put the date on there, and even though her boss didn't come in, she called her boss and she said it, and the relief was momentous and immediate. And what what, uh, many people found is that they, you know, they really did need to leave, and the company sometimes did it for them. And I, I really, um, I really want to emphasize this book, Involuntary Exit. It's full of the unexpected. It's full of very interesting mm. surprises. And it's full of great quotes. You mentioned affirmations, and I'm a huge fan. There's also a playlist. Mm-hmm. Yes, a musical playlist, yes. which we need to keep, to keep us going through <laughs> these processes. And there's a great um, resources list. You talked to um, Shoshan, you mentioned Shushin, uh, Shoshan Alekwi, and her quote, yes. the same mind that created the problem can't be used to come up with a solution. The context that you had you know, you start to live in the world of the new. You make new contacts rather than falling back on the old, falling back into same old patterns. And it's really mm. very helpful. I can't thank you enough for being with us. We have only a few minutes left. Um, I wanted to ask you the best way for people to reach you, Robin Merrill, um, as mm-hmm. they're becoming more authentic um, in inventorying their passions and, and becoming more of ourselves. What's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. The best way is to reach me at theprofessionalguide.com. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a way to contact me there and to submit any questions that you may have that you would uh, like me to answer. And you can also... Sign up for a 20-minute free consultation about your career goals and questions you may have that uh, on topics that we touched on here. Uh, also, that's great. Please, okay. You know, go, thank well, that's, you. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's perfect. So, growth, opportunity, and hope. Hold on to that. Thank you so much, yes. Robin Merrill, for being with us. Involuntary Exit is out next week, published by She Writes Press. And thank you to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Giolino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and put together your portfolio of passions. Till next week, thank Thank you you, for dropping in. Thank you. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.